Dear Father in heaven, as we gather in thy name on this day, this Lord's Day, mindful of uh, our frailties at, at, uh, as we're reminded by the weather that can, can inconvenience us, dear Father, or um, even have more serious and drastic efforts, uh, effects on us in terms of driving and accidents and, and the like, dear Father. We realize that we are frail, we're weak, we're bound by uh, physical parameters, dear Father, but we now in the Spirit pray to a God who freely gives us all things in the Spirit, a God who is not bound physically, is not bound by time and space, and a God to whom we can pray and ask for the things that we really need, dear Father. So we would do that this afternoon hour as we would open thy word. We desperately need the filling of thy spirit, the conviction, the, the spiritual power, dear Father, that comes from the indwelling of the spirit of God. Dear Father, help us, convict us, show us clearly where we are resisting that spirit, where we need thy work, dear Father. And we pray this in confidence, in faith, trusting that it will be done, dear Father. Amen. like to turn with the Lord's help to uh, James, the epistle of James, chapter 4. James chapter 4. <clears throat> Starting with the first verse, James chapter 4, verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain that the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil of one another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? 
Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or do that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. I've read the entire chapter. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. As many of you know, uh, as we've been following along the past several Sundays and in our midweek, we've been studying um, the Holy Spirit and biblical teaching on that. And we, I'm sure as we delve into that topic more and more, we will see the growing application and all the ways that God wants to uh, conform us through his Holy Spirit to change us as we listen to his Holy Spirit, as a congregation and individually. But my thoughts this, uh, on this topic have led me to, um, to look at the condition, not even the precondition, but the condition for the Holy Spirit's work. And that is the, the state or the realization or the place that each of us needs to get to Believer, non-believer, of humility before God, before we can really let that Holy Spirit work. We need to get a place, of, get to a place of, of humility, of brokenness before God. Um, we acknowledge that as um, a church for uh, unbelievers, those that would come to to God, that would embrace the gospel message, that they need to repent, they need to to. Um, forsake their sins, they need to uh, humble themselves before God, and that seems very clear, and we teach that, but I would say even as believers, we need to also humble ourselves, get to a place of humbling in order to experience a filling and a, a working of the Holy Spirit in a way that maybe he has not in the past, or maybe he has at times in the past, and we long for that again. So with the Lord's help, I'd like to look at that. My, my thoughts were drawn to this passage in James 4. And you may look at it, and we read the entire chapter, and, and just maybe focus on you know, verses 6 to, to 10. But really, I think it's all in context. And we need to start from verse 1 of this, of this chapter and see then the instructions in verse 6 to 10 about humility and humbling ourselves and and what God is trying to speak to us as we consider this, this teaching on the Holy Spirit, this working of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 4 opens with, I just marvel sometimes, you know, different writers, how, how the Lord uses different personalities. His Holy Spirit works through, worked through these, the, the writers of the, the, the various books of the Bible. And you see differences between the different books and I see in James here just a very straightforward individual. The Lord uses that straightforwardness. He does not uh, pull any punches. You adulterers and adulteresses, I get a sense of someone 
in love and in, uh, in real humility, almost as it were, grabbing you by your lapels. I mean, we could brush these verses off. We could say, well, that's, this is speaking to the world. This is, a, um, this is a general condemnation of the world. But I don't think that's the case. Maybe there's a difference of opinion uh, among us. But I don't think these strong words are just reserved for uh, the unbeliever, those that are outside of Christ. And these, this description, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts, that war in your members? You know, at the very least, we should consider, even, even if that's not the case, we should consider maybe this is speaking to the believer, the one that, that claims the name of, of Christ. Verse, chapter 3 is talking about my brethren. Um, verse uh, 4 here it says the friendship with the world is enmity with God. I mean, if, if someone was in the world and of the world and not a part of Christ, what would what would this verse really have anything to say with them? They're already in the world. This is a warning. Friendship with the world. From what you've left and what you've come out of, you have to be aware that if you again align yourself to what the world goes after, what it longs for, you will become an enemy of God. You will be opposed to God. So I think at the very least we need to consider the strength of these words here in this, at the beginning of this passage. Partly... I think because we need to be honest with ourselves. This is really what humility is about. It is about being honest completely with myself. It's not about, um, I think, meekness. Uh, we sang in, verse, uh, in, in the, the hymn uh, during the song service about meekness. I, I see that more as a fruit of the Spirit of God working that out in us. But humility is not a work by any stretch, any... any um, it's just a realization. It's just a... And an acknowledgement that I am, I'm completely empty here. This is me. This is, I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of, of, of desiring for my gain many times. I'm guilty of, of uh, pushing the other person down, of not giving them the benefit of the doubt or, or, or longing for their good and, and, and maybe subtly thinking of how this is going to lift me up or, or push me up their ill uh, um, the, the thill that falls befalls them. James, I think, is, is, is clearly identifying something within us that continues, that is clearly in control and dominates those that are in the world, those that, uh, that, that go according to the system of this world, that strive for mastery, that want uh, domination over each other, that, that, that push and shove, but he's identifying that as an ongoing, that that can exist, and that is part of the spirit of man, that the Holy Spirit needs to completely infuse and overcome and um, show us, reveal to us so that it can be transformed. One of the hardest verses in this, um, it doesn't seem that way, but verse 5 uh, Maybe when you compare different translations, you kind of get a sense of, of, it says, Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? If you look in the Old Testament, you will not find a direct quotation. So it, it appears that the, the writer is not writing a direct quotation from the Old Testament here, 
but he's kind of giving the illustration, the tenor, the whole tenor of, of, of Scripture, of the Old Testament. And there are a couple of ways that this, this verse could be taken. The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. One way we could read it is there's a spirit in man that if we are not aware of it and if we do not through um, the gate, the door of humility, um, have a realization of that, we will be captivated by it. We will be controlled by it. A spirit within us that will grab and will want and more and more and will seek to justify itself. And that spirit we need to be aware of. That's one way to understand this. And this spiritual truth, um, this simple spiritual truth that there is something in man that wants and desires for himself and just for him. He wants his own kingdom. He wants his own control. That simple truth has been hidden from the vast majority. It's been hidden from the wisest, the smartest, the most eloquent people. Um, I was reading uh, recently a, a book by Ravi Zacharias. Uh, many of you know him. Uh, an excellent a, a, a apologeticist, someone who defends the, the, the Christian faith at an intellectual level for those that, that are really um, kind of move in those uh, move at that level or operate at that level. And, and for maybe for the average person, it can be a bit tedious or a bit uh, difficult maybe to read some of his writings. But it is interesting. And, and part of the, the, the thing I found interesting in this uh, one book he, he wrote was his survey of philosophies, different philosophers in, in, in this world. And it became clear to me as he would explain each philosopher and their great idea, and then he would simply kind of explain how it falls apart. The, the clear pattern in all of this is that each one of those philosophical arguments that they had built up, it fell by their own argument, as it were. So, for instance, uh, David Hume, the materialist, who said, he, he said, you cannot believe anything that can't be empirically proven and, or mathematically proven. I will not accept anything that's not empirically or mathematically proven. You know, any statements that are based on, on anything other than that are worthless statements. And Ravi simply says, well, that statement you just made is not an empirical statement. It's not a mathematical statement. That statement, <laughs> your, your statement of truth, doesn't meet your own tests of what you claim is the truth. That I, it has to be provable in, uh, mathematically or empirically. That statement that he made, that he based his whole philosophy on, that statement couldn't be proved empirically. Couldn't be proved. It can't be approved exhaustively or mathematically in a certain way. And uh, another example, uh, um, Immanuel Kant, who um, made statements about um, we can never know the ultimate reality and that, you know, there's we are perceptions and um, we're limited, which is, is true, but there is uh, ultimate un reality is unknowable. That's basically his statement. But by that very statement, he's claiming some truth about ultimate reality, that he knows something about ultimate reality. The list goes on. Uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, who, who uh, had this great, um, this idea of the Superman, the, the idea that there will come one who will uh, free humanity, that will move, God is dead, and will, he will move humanity to the next level by this, this leaving of this, this fusty, dusty morality. The Superman who will just transcend, and he himself was such a contradictory, miserable pathetic individual who died of madness as he died of syphilis. Just a horrible um, 
last 10 years or so of his life. Uh, we could go on with other examples. But each one of these individuals had this grand idea. They were blinded to the reality that the spirit within them lusteth to envy. It, in, it, it inhibited them from uh, that truth, not, not knowing that truth, inhibited them from seeing their own blindness, their own, the own error of their own ways, that they, their own, out of their own mouths, basically, they were condemned. And this is the blindness of the world, and this is the blindness of you, my friend, outside of Christ, that you may not realize it, but you are captive to your own spirit, and you're blinded by your own spirit, the spirit that says, me, it's all about me. I'm the most important and you cannot partake of, you cannot have the Holy Spirit living in you and indwelling within you until you realize that, until you humble yourself and realize that my spirit, my thinking, everything that drives me is for myself. I need God. I need him desperately. The other way this, this verse in, in chapter 5 could be taken is, is um, in some other translations, it translates the spirit that he has placed within us is a jealous spirit. And basically, a, a, the, that's the, in, the uh, intent there. Um, and it's, to me, it's not clear. I mean, you look through some of these interlinear translations where they take all the Greek words and then they give a translation and like it could mean one, it could mean the other. But either of those interpretations, either of those understandings, whether it's just a simple, straightforward one that there is a spirit within us that, that wants and desires and hungers and that's the, the cause of all of the conflict between us and within us. Or the spirit that God has placed in the, in the believer is a jealous spirit and he doesn't want to share that space or that room with anyone else. He will not quietly coexist with that spirit within you that says mine, that is greedy, that shoves other people. He will not, he will not exist with that. Either he will convict you more and more of it, you will see more and more the error of your ways, or he will leave and he'll depart. So that's a serious warning too, if you interpret it that way. The answer to this is this passage here, verse Six, it starts with God. It starts with his, his grace. It doesn't start with our, our humility. Let's get that clear. It's not that we need to get to a certain state of mind and that's the beginning of salvation. The, the truth is that God has poured out his grace in Christ Jesus. Before any of us ever had a thought about being humble and realizing who we were, God has really done that work. And that realization is a humbling realization that God has already done all that is needed. He has already given the grace in Christ Jesus. There is nothing I can add to it. There's no mental calisthenics that I can go through that will earn me salvation. Um, no certain mindset or mind frame that will um, get me to a level of acceptance. It has been paid for in Christ Jesus. And the and what is on my part, my responsibility, is to realize that, is to acknowledge that, is to humble myself to that reality. Because God has already done the work. He giveth more grace. And I think that's why the, the writer there, that's why the Holy Spirit has it penned this way. After all this condemnation, all this, this uh, clear statement, this realization of just who we are. And, and let's be honest, uh, brothers and sisters, that should come to us again and again. That should, there should be a realization again and again that, you know what, I, I messed up again. I, I fell short of what God expects of me. 
whether it was in a decision I made or uh, a, a lack of something I did. The last verse in this chapter, therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Whether it's a conviction like that, there has to come a realization and a humbling. And a, oh, I was relying on my own spirit again. I didn't get very far, did I? And from that, that maybe moment of, you know, if we could continue down that road of we'd despair and we could get, feel sorry for ourselves and oh, woe is me and misery, we quickly, immediately have to turn and move to God's grace. We have to remember that. We have to put our faith and trust in it and watch as we humble ourselves to accept that grace, to believe in it, how he changes us. He giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. And this is the condition. This is the condition for grace. God will not pour out his grace, his good grace of salvation, of, of a relationship with him, of, of intimacy, of real purpose and meaning in life. He will not pour that out to you as long as you resist him, as long as you think you're something, as long as you're proud, really comes down to and each one of us, it, 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 it takes so many different forms. It, it manifests itself in so many different ways, even in, in one individual's life, let alone all the many individuals that are out there. But again, it is the work of the Holy Spirit to show us and to convict us of those thoughts that are proud, of the, the attitudes that are proud. I remember in conversion, it was the conviction that I had realized that it is God's grace. It is his goodness, salvation. It's not anything that I can do. And my mindset previous to that was a, was a proud mindset. It was a, I've got to figure this out. I've got to do certain things. I have to achieve. And that in itself was pride. So my friend outside of Christ who does not seem to make any progress, who, who does not seem to... Um, struggle with any, any big thing outside of you, but yet cannot claim this in faith yet. It's pride that's holding you. It's pride in your knowledge and your way of understanding of salvation, of what is required for salvation. You need to humble yourself, and then grace will be given. It will be poured out. It will be made clear to you through his word what is, is required for salvation, and it's his goodness that, that leads you to that. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. There's power now. As you submit yourself to God, there will be power to resist. There will be power to say no, to flee. But only on the basis of submission, only on the basis of humility. We wonder about a, a, a lack of, of power, a lack of Power not only to resist the devil, but to overcome, to, to, to see his, uh, God's working in our life and to accomplish things for the kingdom. Maybe, maybe it's because we're still stuck on, on sub not submitting to God. That last question uh, we had in our, our, our Bible study this past Wednesday, are there things that need to be emptied before you to be filled by the Holy Spirit? Are there things in your life that need to be empty, that need to come out? The first one and, the, and the, the fundamental one, the base one, is pride. The Holy Spirit will not work in someone who is going to take that working and use that to 
puff themselves up, to think I'm someone great, I've accomplished something now. I think this humbling of ourselves is not a pleasant exercise. It's not something that we just lightly do. Um, there, I've humbled myself and, and that's it. Even in the life of the believer, I think there needs to be some, some spiritual mourning, some spiritual affliction, some spiritual weeping. I say that to myself, first of all. When life gets comfortable and easy and everything is good, I'm enjoying everything, but yet I'm not delighting in God. I'm not, I'm not experiencing the intimacy of his Holy Spirit, the, the working out of, of, of his plan for me. Something's wrong. Something may not be obviously wrong, but something is wrong, and I need to return to this affliction and this mourning and weeping to humble myself and experience that filling again. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. I think another place, another area where we can see where pride is preventing the working of the Holy Spirit is actually what starts off this chapter here and then continues, he, he continues, is this working, uh, this um, meeting together of each other, the conflict that we have between each other, the wars and the fightings, the speaking evil, verse 11. When there is a seed of pride within us, it will show in conflict. It will show in, in the frictions between us. There will be offenses taken. There will be words said. Um, there will be thoughts thought that will work out in words that will result in friction, that will result in, in, in something other than the peace that God desires through the exercising of his Holy Spirit in a body like this. And I think we need to be aware of that too. It's not... Um, it's not just a matter of, uh, well, we don't have any open conflicts, everything's good, the Holy Spirit must be, must be uh, doing his work, and that's, that's sufficient. There needs to be more of an interweaving and an interlocking, and this first step about wars and fightings and, and, and uh, speaking evil, God needs to show us, first of all, where that those seeds are planted, that they are rooted out, and then from there to grow real plants and fruits of, of that interworking of the Holy Spirit being poured out between us and among us as we exercise the, those gifts of the Holy Spirit to bless each other, to uh, speak truth into each other's lives, to speak God's love into each other's lives. I think that's another area where we may be inhibiting the Holy Spirit's working by pride by just thinking too much of ourselves, thinking too much of our own comfort, thinking too highly of ourselves. When I take God's law and I use it to destroy, when I use it to judge, when I use it to, to dismantle rather than to build up a brother or a sister who may be struggling, that's pride. That's not the work of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord impress uh, the importance of us realizing truly who we are in order to allow him to express and imprint that mark of the Holy Spirit on us clearly, indelibly. I remember hearing from someone that 
during the the laying on of hands when we the, as we practice that that uh, when we baptize an individual with water, then we baptize them also with the Spirit. We lay on hands and pray, and we ask for in a, in a special way that the Holy Spirit would be poured out in the life of that individual and would be sealed and marked that this would be. Um, a real baptism, an immersion of the Holy Spirit. That one, one person was relating to me that what really affected them in those prayers was when the, the brothers who were praying would begin by humbling themselves before the Lord, would be begin by acknowledging their inabilities, their, their weaknesses, their failures, in those prayers, those special prayers, as they asked for the filling of the Holy Spirit on that individual, as they acknowledged their own weaknesses, their own failures. And I think maybe that's where it has to start with us too, is that we need to be broken before God before we can be filled as believers and definitely, definitely as unbelievers that, that have not experienced and tasted of his goodness. God has a great work that he wants to work, but he's chosen in his wisdom and in his sovereignty not to do that work in the heart of a proud person, to do it through the means, the mechanism of his Holy Spirit who works in a humble heart. That is the mystery, that is the the amazing wisdom of God's salvation, and none of us will understand that until we humble ourselves. May the Lord bless this word. And one of the portions of the passage we read says about asking, the wrong kind of asking. Ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. I think when we are faced when we get to that place of humility of realizing that we are nothing uh, that we're empty that we don't have anything to solve the problem with the thing then is to ask we need to ask we need to ask in the right way not for the wrong reasons do you realize that God that Jesus asked for the Holy Spirit for us he prayed to God that he would send the comforter I think we need to get to that point of asking too. Once we've humbled ourselves, once we've realized there is nothing that I can bring to this, I need to ask God for his filling, his moving, his working. May the Lord reveal that to us and may he answer those prayers, those earnest prayers for him and nothing but him. This concludes our service.